Okay, so we had a whole hour-long podcast <laughs> that we weren't done with. That we weren't even through recording, and I realized Wait, we were while taking a break <laughs> that it wasn't even recording a single thing. So, welcome. Welcome again <laughs> for the first time. Back for the first time. Back for the first time. Isn't that ludicrous? <laughs> I I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I think I think it was. Ludicrous. I'm sure I have word of mouth <laughs> somewhere in my CD collection still. But this is still talking chase. However, it is a decidedly new direction. I know when I started this, it was to find people with uplifting stories. Tales of success through adversity, because you don't find much of that in the news feeds that a lot of people are involved with. Everything is usually geared toward catastrophe, and there is a lot of it in the world. But anyway, I reached out to a handful of people, and we are recording this time, I just checked again. <laughs> Reached out to a handful of people and they said, yeah, sure, I can talk to you. And scheduling and time, it just, nothing ever worked out. Except for the lovely and always enjoyable uh, Mr. Robert Trevina, who is on and has been on uh, a handful of Athens, Georgia uh, land boards and uh, municipal bodies. Um, if you want to check out any of what he does... Just look for him on Facebook, Robert Trevina, and he's a super cool guy. But anyway, what I want to do now is I have uh, reconnected with an old friend of mine who is a podcaster in his own right, uh, Mr. Alex Yarborough. Hello. And what he used to do was more on the pop culture side of things, uh, Godzilla movies and the lore behind that, uh, Star Wars movies, etc., etc. And what we're going to try to do now is I am an audiophile, I've been a DJ, I've usually been that kid with several uh, 500 CD suitcases to lend to any situation. So I'll be focusing more on music and arts and, and he'll be covering more of the uh, pop culture, uh, filmography, and uh, history of, uh, of visual arts kind of things. So Movies, games, shows, stuff that's happening right now, stuff that maybe came out a while ago, but hopefully tried to make an impact uh, on the you know, cultural zeitgeist that we're you know, all watching and a part of, and... Lately, I've been watching uh, some Boba Fett. We'll get into that later. Uh, that's probably what I'm going to talk about tonight. Uh, so, spoiler warning for that. But, yeah, yeah, no toy for a long time. And hopefully now, and like I said, yeah, like, or like he said earlier, we kind of kind of touched on, you know, the Godzilla movies and some Gamera and stuff like that. And who knows, may, may even revisit some of that. There's, if the MonsterVerse and Legendary keep going and, you know, Toho still... Still making movies, you know. I'm sure I'll be I'll be going on about that. But for tonight, yeah, he's got an album that he's going to talk about, and then I'm going to go on about uh, a little bit, a little bit of Boba Fett. So, with what I have been 
doing recently is taking all of my music library and purchasing the physical media so I can get the, or purchasing the lossless version of that album. Which you got, you got a lot of music. You got a, you got a couple <laughs> albums laying around, right? I do. I I have about thirty thousand songs or so in total. That's a lot. <laughs> it's it it can it can be a lot. There are people with much much more, of course. But that's kind of what I'm up to, and more specifically, kind of what I've leveled to. I could very realistically have several more songs, several more, just, just to have them, just to say that I have them, blah, 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 blah. But I'm trying to whittle it down to stuff that I like, whether it's stuff I found on my own, stuff I've had since I was a little kid, stuff that I've come across in my years doing DJ work. Uh, so I'm, I'm, Honing it down to the good ones. And apologies for my upstairs neighbor constantly opening and closing their door. If you can hear that, that's what that is. At least they're not uh, <clears throat> redoing a sink this time, right? Some, Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely, it's we try to have a quiet space and this is what happens. Anyway. So, real quick, uh, 30,000 songs. Uh, do you suffer from option paralysis at all? And not the Dillinger Escape Plan album? Sometimes. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm going to look at, like, 30 movies on, like, you know, yeah. a Netflix horror page or something and be like, I don't know what to watch. <laughs> and that's actually what leads me to start reviewing albums is because what I'm trying to do, and since genre is more of a fluid thing these days in relation to what it was in even the 90s. I was a 90s kid. I would see an album that was labeled metal or labeled rock or labeled pop. And those would be definitive labels on them. Mm -hmm. And... More and more, as artists have pushed their envelopes in their respective genres, they've crossed over to do many, many things. I mean, there's Charlie XCX, there's Arca, which has done uh, music with people from Bjork to, uh, I think, like Jay-Z. Don't quote me on that, but it's <laughs> modern art has, modern music has evolved beyond the strict lines that I remember it being when I was growing up. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, I, I remember there, there, there used to be, um, you had rock and you had hard rock. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much it as far as that genre went. Yeah. There was ACDC and then there was Disturbed. Yeah, there, uh, and there was like later on, you know, Daughtry or <laughs> yeah. you know, Puddle of Mud. Yeah, and just all of the, all of the things that it's it's the it's the Weezer syndrome. That first album was so good because you were so ten years old when it came out, <laughs> and that was, I mean. You also had Hanson's first CD. You also, in my case, had the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC's first CD because you just were infatuated with things that sounded cool. I mean, you're growing up, every new sound has the potential to be 
so cool. Mm. And then you start to build your own tastes on top of that. You start out with the most poppyish pop music that everybody knows because you hear it on at one time what was MTV or Fuse VH1. In, in my case, it was country music, and I would sing Garth Brooks all day long. And yep. then one day, my brother was like, "This is Metallica." Yep. And I, we didn't go back. And there was my, no backwards at that my, point. <laughs> my dad was was George Jones, and my mom was Red Hot Chili Peppers. And that was a defining line that I crossed from, mm-hmm. like, you know, I had 45, and I still have it, of Alabama's uh, mountain music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also have, you know, 45s of, like, polka songs, because my grandparents are, <laughs> are uh, uh, Eastern European. And so many styles used to be so matter of fact but now they're starting to i mean they've been blurring and mm-hmm. one of the styles that i haven't paid enough attention to cuz as a 90s kid i could only take so much usher so much destiny's child so much tlc for that matter uh being overplayed on the radio and in the grocery store and in the shopping mall and and just the skate around and the skate around as we as mentioned earlier <laughs> in the part that didn't get recorded uh don't go chasing waterfalls exactly no, which <laughs> st- stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used Look, to banger in that skate around though <laughs> <laughs> uh and and while I'm no aficionado on the genre because I have slept on it for so so long uh contemporary R&B, which I relegated myself for many years to just the classics, to the Carl Carlton, to the Barry White, uh, even, you know, Hall and Oates. Mm. Uh, I mean, Rich Girl, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, at this point, it's dad rock, but that's, I mean, square <laughs> white kid out of rural Georgia, what else are you gonna, you know, what else are you gonna like when you don't know about anything? I mean, when, you know, we hear R.E.M. on the river now. Yeah, exactly. You know? And and losing my religion, I thought when I was a little kid, when I was in kindergarten and I heard that song, that was a hard rock song. To <laughs> you <me>. know, <laughs> that the mandolin or whatever they mm. use, that was that was metal. <laughs> so with my limited knowledge of contemporary R&B, I, I heard The weekend whenever he started putting out songs i knew who drake you know i knew a handful of the more spotlit artists that are representing contemporary r&b but i've seen this album placed in that in that style it stuck out to me to give it a try and it is genesis owusu's uh, smiling with no teeth this album has, I wouldn't call it, it's not a concept album, but it does have recurring theme or a recurring motif of uh, black dogs, or maybe he himself as the singular black dog. He is Australian uh, by way of uh, Ghana. He was born in Ghana and raised in Australia. Uh, the guy's actual name is, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Kofi. Owusu Ansa. And you said his stage name is Genesis 
Owusu. Stage name Genesis Owusu, and Owusu. I, I guess that's the name for this collective of people. Uh, I found some other names involved in his production crew uh, that seem to be popular, but I, I haven't I haven't had the time to trace them. No down. mention of Phil Collins, though. Right? No mention of Phil Collins. Thank God. <sighs> no. <laughs> what about Peter Gabriel? No, there Damn. is <laughs> there is Andrew Clipple or Clipel. Uh, there's Dave Hammer, there's Harvey Sutherland, uh, Joe Laporta, and Matt Corby. Uh, now, all these people together, I'm not exactly sure what role each of them play outside of uh, Kofi himself's role as the uh, main singer to this project, uh, but he weaves stories of his experiences into, uh, I mean, undeniably groovy uh, bits and refrains on, on this album, Smiling With No Teeth. Now, the opener kind of belies a lot of the material to the rest of the album. Uh, it's called On The Move, and it actually starts by putting a lot of the manic side on, on front display. Uh, it hits you with a burst of, like, digital blips and, uh, like, bass drops. Uh, the drum beat behind is real uh, skittering, real, uh, real frenetic. It's R2-D2 on the turntables. <laughs> Could be. <clears throat> and it's it's as if he's starting out from from disarray trying to trying to rank trying to channel uh all of these uh disparate energies into the song like like shoving that last clod of of clothes into an overpacked suitcase. He's trying to get it all in there mm-hmm. in a short in a truncated amount of time. Uh, he, he proclaims, uh, black dogs on the move as the instrumentation kind of gains and, and trades layers of, of different melodies over the, uh, the, the beat, which, which just doesn't change from this really, uh, uh, like I said before, skittery kind of, uh, nature. Now, uh, the next track, uh, the other black dog comes real swiftly after with, uh, a, <laughs> A mood change, a, a big, uh, bopping, uh, two-step kind of beat, and uh, real confident, enthralling rap uh, on the verses, mm-hmm. uh, and the the chorus uh, kind of half and halves like a, a staccato beginning, and then he uh, adds a few extra syllables on uh, uh, single syllable words at the end, uh, and it it's the first song to let you know that. Uh, Genesis, which I'll I'll just refer to uh, the one man as as his uh, band name, is he's not afraid of using beats or phrases that could be uh, played out or like you could quickly exhaust if uh, if if attempted without this level of care and uh, honestness. Yeah, when you when you when we talked about this and you said you were going to cover an album, I was I was wondering who you were going to cover, and I was. I told you earlier. I was like, if I could pick one, I would say Master of Puppets. That that'd be the one. <laughs> uh, and then you sent me this, and I who who the hell is this? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I anyway, I put it on on the ride home, and I listened to a couple tracks, and I did listen to Old Black Dog without a leash. The second track, yeah, that's uh, uh the other Black Dog, the other Black Dog, and then I listened to Waiting on You, uh, mm-hmm. and those the Waiting on You. Had I very different, had I not known that they were uh, on the same album, I, I wouldn't have thought they were even by the same artist. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, now, waiting on you, as well as uh, Centerfold, are 
two tracks that take things in a in a more sultry, more sexy direction. Centerfold, I think, tipping a hat to artists like Barry White uh, with some spoken word verse, some you know, some real, some real deep voice, making you making you real comfortable, making you real at ease with what's going on. This track also has some some real deft backmasked uh, counter melodies uh, that should make glass animals pay attention uh, if they're going to try and do this kind of stuff on their on their new uh, very uninspired sort of output. Now the the latter track uh, "Waiting on You," as mentioned earlier, though starting with uh, a kind of a spoken word. Once again, mentioning the Black Dogs, it's uh, Black Dogs for Sale, uh, kind of a spoken word piece. I think you would have to be soulless to not get entranced by uh, this guy's vocal patterns uh, and like subdued, like vibey instru- instrumentation on the on the latter part. It kind of makes you take a longer stride every third step. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, get some get some new legs going. <laughs> yeah, get to stepping. <laughs> uh, uh, furthermore, waiting on you is a good example of uh, Owusu's ability to. Uh, stretch or squeeze a measure to to his liking, uh, either stuttering or or sliding on the words to accentuate uh, the the exact correct feeling he's trying to convey, uh, resulting in a lot of uh, woozy but uh, really evocative bars. Uh, now, if if other modern R and B, which is kind of what I've imagined it to be, uh, the production is is cold, it's uh, it's deep. Uh, it just, it's, if, if other R&B was meant to be like marble and tile, uh, this one is, is bespoke of like solid mahogany. Uh, it's, it's so rich and, and organic. Um, more of a handcrafted feel than like a more mass, than a mass produced. Exactly. And, uh, the song Gold Chains also achieves this effect with, uh, layering the phrase, uh, gold and cold chains as a uh, satisfying uh, back and forth on the on the chorus, it kind of gives it a, a nice double meaning uh, to what each individual line is saying. Um, now, the title track uh, is probably the slowest of all the tracks on here, but it has... Well, you're I've, not going to go fast when you don't have any teeth. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it provides the clearest message which is everybody wants the result, the payoff, without putting in the work. Now, this is something that the album addresses in different ways throughout its runtime, uh, but it is a, a satisfying and very uh, Beatles-esque refrain to uh, bask in with uh, spoken word verses and uh, callbacks of a few of the lyrical themes uh, elsewhere throughout the album. Think uh abbey road or or even more um sergeant pepper toward the end where it's that it, it's like the four or five songs that are just one song together uh that kind of feeling to it it's not that setup but it's that same you can tell it was an idea that got fleshed out in the live mm-hmm. and now that song ends with uh some studio chatter maybe they didn't stop recording between that song and the next one up it, here i haven't heard it is it is it studio chatter or is it or is it more like a pink floyd where it's just like a bunch of people talking over each well, other well i it's it sounds like he's relaying like a, a cue or a message to someone behind the glass or mm. vice versa 
the track I Don't See Color uh, picks up with a, a, sam- a vocal sample snippet. And I don't know if it's a sample from the voices that were in the room or if it's just something that blends into it, but layered, uh, repeated ominously over these hand drums or uh, bongos or, or, or some, some kind of hand uh, percussion instrument. The I can't of exactly Bongo place. Man. Now, uh, Genesis again showcases his uh, like drunken master style uh, rapping, nice. um, describing uh, cross sections of uh, you know dubious encounters with uh, racism and prejudice, and uh, how the the title phrase uh, you know to this track "I Don't See Color" can be used as just a, a rhetoric by people that actually don't care about mm-hmm. the strife of of others. Now, from there, the album revisits uh, the more manic side of his sound on the track Drown, which employs uh, a quintessential 80s uh, guitar hook, but it's filtered through what sounds like the cheapest distortion pedal ever made, although it somehow works perfectly. It's like if Gautier produced what The Weeknd was doing lately. It's a... Talk about a guy who made a thing and then dropped <laughs> off the planet. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a dirty, dusty sound, but it's every bit as earworm as a uh, take my breath or uh, how do I make you love me. The tracks uh, Black Dogs, which again, reference... The, the Black Dog motif in the album, uh, Black Dogs, and the other track, Whip Cracker, or it's two words, Whip Cracker, uh, sound like something uh, Block Party could have mined uh, during their earlier years. Uh, the song Whip Cracker, uh, a, a pounding bit of poetry about uh, racial inequality and how the tables have, uh, have turned a little bit uh, in, the, in the modern era and, and how they should continue to turn uh, in in future years and in now, and then, like a right hook, the instrumental to the song uh, explodes into this like straight disco dance floor <laughs> gold. I, I just I, I don't I I didn't see it coming, but I I respect it just the most. I, I just I, <laughs> I, I I mean that if if you if you listen to the first part of the song you will be rewarded with the second part of the song is mm. <laughs> I guess is really to, to sum that one up with um, kind of how I used to, or we used to describe Dillinger's escape plan. Yeah, you yeah. get that juicy nugget in, uh-huh. you know, inside the, the juicy center inside the song. If you if you can make it through the outer shell, yep. you're, then you're rewarded. <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, the, the, touchstones that he's bringing up the the subjects that he's bringing up throughout this whole album seem to deal with experiencing the inequality of society at large and addressing it and at least offering uh advice on what we should be doing about it it's not a overtly socio-political message going through this it's i think more on his side of things rather than society at large, but his part in society is mm-hmm. gone over in these tracks. But there are, there are a couple that I, I didn't, I didn't exactly connect with. Um, one of them being 
Easy and the other a Song About Fishing. They're probably the relative low points uh, on the album, where Genesis may be kind of running short on on Muse. Maybe some songs that could have got cut. Maybe. Because uh, they're, what, about 15 the tracks? The album's about and... 15 tracks long. So I get, I mean, these these probably aren't worth totally cutting out, but maybe they could have been, like, some bonus tracks. Yeah, some B-sides. Uh, or maybe the live versions of those mm. songs would be mm-hmm. more preferable, since mm-hmm. I'm sure that he puts, I mean, he's done, he's done these songs over and over and over again while recording them. I'm sure the live versions he, he probably uh, does a little more creative mm-hmm. uh, interpretations of, but... Uh, the song's easy, and a song about fishing. One of them about being a fool to be in love, and the other about casting nets in fishless lakes. Uh, they kind of seem to be about the same thing, or they're not bad. Uh, they each have melodies that you can, you know, you can hum even after listening to the song. You remember what it was. Uh, they have good production to them. Uh, the lyrical content, I, I just don't seem to connect with as as firmly as as the other tracks on here. Now, from there, the the ending two tracks, No Looking Back, uh, steers the vibes back to earlier ballads, or at least slower tempo tracks like Waiting On You. Mm-hmm. The vocal melody, as uh, many pieces of the instrumentation throughout this album, seems very familiar, but Genesis takes uh, those pieces and kind of makes them, his, he put, puts his own uh, trademark on it. Therefore, avoiding a lot of the pitfalls that uh, other artists may encounter when uh, borrowing these timeless yet derivative, uh, potentially derivative styles. Now, the last track, uh, fittingly titled Bye Bye, ends the album with another solid mid tempo, uh, groovy song with uh, the refrain uh, Bye Bye, Crawling Back to You, which speaks to me as trying to escape a vice or a stigma, uh, yet being powerless to separate yourself from it. Now, for an album holding such a diverse palette, I think the album cover uh, displays this feeling really well. Uh, it's a close-up on, uh, uh, on, on Genesis's face. Uh, it's, a, it's a close, intimate view. Uh, big gold embellishments, big gold teeth, big gold rings, uh, but it's all wrapped in gauze. Uh, kind of distracting, uh, the gold distracting from what's covered, from what hurts, uh, literally smiling through the pain. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's addressing a lot of strife, maybe a little uncertainty, but he's taking it, uh, and, and making something good out of it. And I think the, the album cover really, really puts the cap on, just on kind everything. of highlights all of yeah, that. Yeah. On, on what all the songs are about. I think this album deserves listens from fans of uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra to like Chromio to like Kendrick Lamar and he, like even Outkast, like the the more uh, exploratory side of, of Outkast at the very least. Um, it has the funk, it has the charm, uh, and it has the dexterity to uh, achieve the success that it's that it's looking for while uh, really steeped in the stylistic odes to the uh, to the eras it's trying to evoke. I even got a little bit of flight of the concords from waiting on you. Yeah, just a little bit with the the the, the baritone vocals, mm-hmm. uh, the the real. I don't I don't think it's purposely tongue in cheek, but I just I love how it's it sounds like he's going to be so sloppy, but he hits every single point that you need him to. Yeah, 
I, I enjoy I enjoy his style. I enjoy his style a lot. Nice. So, yeah, and and that that says a lot. Um, after knowing you for a long time, I mean, all the way back to like high school and stuff, uh, you've always been a man of many many albums, many musics. Uh, so when we started doing this, and you said you wanted to cover an album, I didn't know what one you might pick, and then you sent me this, and I was like, oh my. So just being that this is the first one that you've covered on here out of all of those albums, that does speak a large amount. And now, that being said, we don't have a rating system. This is our first one. Yeah. Uh, earlier it was, uh, how many, uh, <laughs> how many, uh, how, Jim Beam and Honeys? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many, how many hard, hard liquor drinks? How many fingers of, yeah. of whiskey would you rate uh, this? I, I would, I, I would say, I would say have have yourself two two hard liquor drinks and uh over the course of listening to this album and uh you will you will stay out of your seat dancing around uh like a, a stilted white boy in your living room like I very much am doing, <laughs> doing the 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 jaunty whiteman ah dance, yes uh, ah yes the completely lack of inspiration gangling your arms and legs about of course of course <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, it, uh, as, as somebody that is not, uh, a person that pays attention specifically to the, the R&B output, uh, this album kind of came across my various, you know, YouTube feeds and, and recommendation, you know, street team channels and everything. And, uh, like I said earlier, the, the album artwork, uh, it actually led me to listen to the album which as mentioned before really lives up to what the uh you know the book matches the cover mm-hmm. which you know yeah you hear you hear something's good enough times it makes you want to check it out yeah uh which is one thing that i hope this podcast does is that if if you we get one listener to to, to check out an album listen to a song or watch a show uh, then I think that we've uh, we've done it. We've done what we set out to do was to tell people about these things and inspire them to maybe check out something new. Yeah, because I know a lot of the review channels I watch and listen to, like you mentioned earlier, there's there's option paralysis. You can you can get, and I think this was this was Mike Shinoda that said this. <laughs> uh, I was watching an interview with him the other day mm-hmm. about uh, how you know he. You know, him as a solo artist and, you know, uh, the uh, Chester's demise and, uh, you know, Linkin Park after the fact. He was talking about, uh, you know, reviewers and critics, mm-hmm. uh, casual or, you know, professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're in a, they're in a nice area because there's so much that's available. I mean, back yeah. in the day, you had to go through the record company, you had to get, you know, mm-hmm. sign a deal, you had to put out whatever. Or you found, you know, your your local, you know, the flaming diamond studded reefer tones, to borrow a phrase, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, local band that just had an uh, 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 underground following. But now anybody can put out anything. Yeah. And so you have so many, you have so many options. Mm-hmm. And hopefully what our purpose can be is to join the group of the people who... Uh, matter or people who get listened to the most anyway <laughs> in in critique and in reviewing because it helps people sort through the endless amount of options and focus oh, yeah. in on something i mean we all i think we all have the knee-jerk reaction of 
hey, I really like that band, or hey, I really like that show, and then you walk outside and you hear it or you see it on every corner or coming out of every car or on everybody's TV, and you're like, I don't like that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or, you know, the other thing of, what do I want to listen to today? Oh, man, I'd like to try this or find this, and then you wind up listening to the same thing that you've listened to for hundreds of times, yeah. and you don't try anything new. And, and people that, you know, curate playlists... Uh, like I'm, Which I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of. I, I listen yeah. to the same thing all the time. Eh. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to turn people on to certain styles of music. Uh, I mean, I've, I've had people, you know, shit all over my recommendations. I've had people take them as though they were, you know, tablets descended from the heavens. <laughs> it just, it all depends on, I guess, the mood that you're in mm-hmm. and the candor of the person that's recommending the thing to you i you know i i don't i don't shed a tear when i tell somebody about an album and they never ever listen to it because i've had people tell me about plenty of things that i've still never touched (laughs) but guess what one day i'll be like oh yeah i this this thing somebody told me about seven years ago Mm -hmm. i'll check it out and then you know and and then it's in the rotation it's just Mm -hmm. I understand that it has to happen like that to a lot of people. Yep. Uh, Sometimes some things you have to just get to in your own time. Yes. But like I said earlier, if enough people are like, hey, this is good, eventually you'll be like, all right, yeah, I'll listen to it, or I'll watch it, or whatever. Um, But uh, it's it's always really nice whenever you you come across something that is outside of your wheelhouse mm -hmm. that... You enjoy for, I mean, even if it's for your own reasons, you enjoy it. Hopefully enough people can get quality recommendations mm-hmm. on, on both sides of the I mean, uh, you tried to get spectrum. me to listen to Dillinger Escape Plan. Forever. For, for how long? For years. And then it fin- it took Mouth of Ghost. Yep. That was it. That was the song. And yep. I was like, okay. It just, <laughs> you, 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 have, you have to find that latching on point mm-hmm. to where you like that. Okay, now you have a control mm-hmm. as to what... You can explore their back catalog or yep. follow them further. Yep. Uh, it, I, I'm, I'm all about finding that that latching on point for sure. And these these album reviews that I do, and I'm presuming the media reviews that you do, are going to point in that direction where we're we're going to focus on something that hey, we've we've sifted through the various options and and here's what we found here's here's a hopeful touchstone on something to at least start at mm-hmm. if you're wanting either something new or if you're wanting something in the same vein of what you're used to hopefully or it all at the works. very least if you already know it and you like it and you just want to hear us talk about it precisely I mean, you know, like for tonight I like I like I said I'm going to talk about Boba Fett. If you've been watching Boba Fett and you're up to date then and you want to hear more people go on about it? Well, there you go. If you already know about uh, Genesis, not Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 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 ready for for any and all hellfire that comes my way when I say that uh, I don't know a lot, if anything, about the Star Wars or Marvel universe. I watch a lot of those movies out of sequence, and I watch a lot of them. As standalone sci-fi action movies, which nothing wrong, with. and a lot of them stand up to it. There are a few esoteric things, esoteric things that I maybe don't get, 
But yeah, you know. Let me put on my Sherpa guide, right? <laughs> my Sherpa outfit. <laughs> but that's exactly where you come in. Is, you is, 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 is explaining to plebs like myself. So that being said, uh, yes, I'm going to talk about a little bit about uh, the book of Boba Fett, which is on Disney Plus right now. <clears throat> and I think it only has one episode left. Maybe two. It could be wrong. I think it's only one. Usually most of these shows are about eight episodes long for whatever reason. I vaguely remember them saying seven for this one. If, honestly, as far as Boba Fett goes, it might as well have been four because we got six episodes out and last time we really saw him do anything was in the fourth one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Now, there's a difference between <laughs> The Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Yes. What is the difference? So, Boba Fett... Uh, introduced in the Star Wars Holiday Special that was uh, critically panned by uh, everyone. I do remember uh, that one. I haven't bad. watched it, but I have, I have some friends that are hardcore Star Wars fans that say they own a copy of it. I have never elected to watch it. Luckily, if you don't, it's on Disney+. Plus. Really? You can watch it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but no, that's where he first got introduced, but then put in live action in Empire Strikes Back where he was standing on the bridge of the Star Destroyer and Darth Vader was telling them to go after and catch uh, Han Solo. Uh, and no no disintegrations is what he singled out Boba Fett for. Okay. Which has got to be cool when you're known across the galaxy <laughs> for just melting fools, right? right? But anyway, so that was, that was Boba Fett. Now, there were some Expanded Universe stories. For those who don't know, the Expanded Universe is the books... Uh, games, stuff like that. Primarily books that came out, you know, after all the after the movies, uh, and then when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, they scrapped all of the books and made them not canon anymore. So oh. meaning none of that, none of that shit mattered. And the problem, and all that was because there's one book I don't remember which one, um, but it was basically. Uh, Chewbacca is on a moon, and he's telling them to get off. He's got to go because, like, another moon, I think, is going to crash into it, and they kill Chewbacca. Oh. And that's how he dies. He sacrifices himself to get everyone out of there. So, but when they made um, Force Awakens, it's set to, to take place after Return of the Jedi. You can't just have this movie and have no Chewbacca and be like, oh, he died on a moon. So they scrapped all of that, which you killed off so many classic characters, so many ones that never even got their time to shine on the screen. There's a little bit with Boba Fett, too. I think the name was like, like, you know, Tales from like the Outer Rim, maybe uh, something like that. But talks about how, like, um, he he gets his armor back and all this stuff. Because if you don't know, Boba Fett fell into... uh, Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi. Ah, uh, okay. That that term, Sarlacc mm-hmm. pit. I I have so many little bits and pieces from Star Wars lore, mm-hmm. kind of drifting around in my head, and I don't know where any of it goes. You know what's funny is, and my my wife is a huge Star Wars fan. She has a, a rebel tattoo on her back. She, <laughs> I. I, I, and I mean, God bless her soul for uh, for not absolutely shitting all over me. <laughs> but every every piece of Star Wars, old style Star Wars that I knew, mm-hmm. it was just from the first movie. It wasn't from any other. Uh, just, just solely a New Hope. <laughs> that's uh, that's all I knew. But I thought it was. I mean, I just 
anyway, I've, I've, you know, we, we've watched the first, uh, well, the first three, we watched them in release order Mm -hmm. because that evidently that's a, a crucial viewing option since, you know, the, and yes, you know, I'll, I'll go on record saying watch the originals and then watch the prequels. That's how they came out. But I'll also say my nephew asked me because he wanted to get into Star Wars. Yeah. And I'll pose this to people. How about this? The biggest thing with watching the prequel or watching the original trilogy, one, it's the original trilogy, right? It came out first. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's how I look at it. Exactly. It came out first. This is the original story that was told. And through that, you get the, the infamous, I'm your father scene. Yeah. Which, huge, right? And by the way, Mark Hamill still to this day, God bless this man. Amazing. <laughs> he is the best character actor. I mean, I, I'll call him a character actor. I know he's 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 a voice actor more these days. But Ooh, which got something for you for that later on. Just just knowing that he this dude is so involved in his craft that mm-hmm. uh, a piece of trivia that I really enjoy is in the Batman cartoons mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. The Batman anime series? Saturday Morning Batman. Mm-hmm. When he was the Joker, mm-hmm. he was driving around New York and granted, ah, yes. he, he, he got he got this this voice acting role because he he just he really went over the time. I mean, he's Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I, I I know and respect Mark Hamill in even as a a non Star Wars devotee. Mm-hmm. He would drive around practicing his lines in his car in New York City, and so so many people. And he said this in interviews. He's like, if you saw me cackling like a maniac mm-hmm. or screaming at my windshield, I was just practicing my lines for the Joker. Yeah, he's <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> he, I mean, him him and Caesar Romero. Are and sorry to just shift this whole thing into Batman. Obese. Him, him, and Caesar Romero are the the classic, definitive Jokers. Even though Mark Hamill's Joker was out in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and even though Jim Carrey's Joker, or sorry, Jim Carrey's Jack, Riddler. I was gonna say Jack Nicholson. Jack Joker? Nicholson's Joker. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> Jack Nicholson's Joker preceded, but I mean. Man, Mark Hamill. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. Go ahead. You want to know a fun little trivia piece about Cesar Romero and the Joker? Oh? He refused to shave his mustache. Oh. He wouldn't do it, so they painted it white. <laughs> That's why the Joker has a mustache. Wow. <laughs> At least in, in that one. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> so they were just like, fine, we'll just paint it then. <laughs> but, but yes, so Boba Fett um, shows up, Empire Strikes Back, with a group of bounty hunters... Um, and then you see him again after he delivers Han Solo, uh, which, and all, you know, real purposes, he doesn't deliver Han Solo to anyone, but Jabba, Darth Vader does all the work. Uh. But anyway, um, and then he returns in Return of the Jedi, uh, chilling at Jabba's palace, and here's my hot take for Boba Fett. He didn't do shit to deserve how cool people think he is. Oh no! <laughs> he he went out like a punk. He stood there, and the, when the time came for him to do something cool, he got 
punked out and hit in the head by a blind dude and flew off the side into Jabba's barge and fell down into a pit. So, Boba Fett's whole story arc <laughs> ends with him just punking out Pretty into the much. Sarlacc pit. As this feared bounty hunter throughout the galaxy, where Darth Vader himself has to say, hey, don't disintegrate people. <laughs> <laughs> you get hit by a blind dude and fall off of a boat. I mean... It's like it's like they didn't know how to write his character because yeah. he was that OP, so they just nerfed him, is but, what it seemed. I don't know, but... I mean, then, then again, I to f- kind of free associate for a minute, The Sopranos, once again, spoilers... If you haven't, because I know... Are you talking, talking about the end of The Sopranos? Talking, talking hey, with you... I haven't you. seen the end of it. Okay. All I know is it goes to black. That's okay, it. so that... Which I think everybody knows that yeah. part. <laughs> so, so death isn't always dramatic. Sometimes it's meaningless. Sometimes, sometimes it's completely anticlimactic. And maybe... That's what they were doing with with Boba Fett, but I, I'm I'm really just reaching out on a limb. I feel like they had to do something with this character. The whole the story wasn't about him anyway. Yeah, and he got kind of this build up, and then you didn't know what to do with him. Ah, uh. rather than have him dip out, I mean, because George wanted to do something later on. Which what was I guess what's wild to me is why would they kill him unless they just didn't think he would be a viable like a marketable thing going forward. But I mean there's the there's the Mandalorian. There's, well, you know you can plug that into I mean there's from my purview in not being totally steeped in like this part of the story goes here, this part of the story goes there with mm-hmm. Star Wars. Isn't there just infinite? Po- I mean it's been going on for. F- over 50 years at you, this you, point. You can do so much. You can make anything. And that is, that's what's going to lead me into to, to the show itself, is Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau uh-huh. are the ones who've been kind of heading up this, these shows, the yeah. Star Wars shows. And for those who did know, uh, Dave Filoni created uh, the Clone Wars uh-huh. and got Jon Favreau to be in a couple episodes. He is... Um, Pre Vizsla, or not Pre Vizsla, which actually, yes, he might be Pre Vizsla, which is a Mandalorian. In, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, Favreau, he made him a Mandalorian character because John Favreau really likes the Mandalorians. Now, gotcha. the Mandalorians are a group, they're their own kind, they are people, but they're from the planet Mandalore, and they were very, very warlike. I mean, there's, if you go back in the old, in like Star Wars lore, in like the old Republic, uh, they were taking over the entire galaxy. They were some bad dudes. And it's like, so they would come in and, yeah, they were just taking over everything, riding these crazy beasts and stuff. And so to go from that, like, eventually what happened is the, um, just a quick little recap. Uh, there was a Jedi by the name of Revan. Revan was like, we got to stop them. They're going to become a problem. And the council was like, no, I don't want to do that. And he was like, well, fine, I'll do it anyway. And so Revan took like some a group of Jedi and went out there and fought the Mandalorians. And the way this thing worked was to you had what's called Mandalore's mask, and the leader of Mandalorians wore the mask. And which he, does any of this tie? Because I'm I'm trying to 
relate it to what I know about the the Mandalore culture or race or however it's defined in the show. Mm-hmm. He gets these for lack of a better word on my part, these like sacred pieces of metal. The Beskar. Okay. That yes. he gets smelted into pieces that's of his armor. Actual Mandalorian armor. Man, okay. they wear Beskar. Yeah. Okay. And but that's that's what they all wore, and that's yeah what the mask was made of. And basically Revan beat the Mandalorian leader in hand to hand combat and took the mask and then hid the mask. So there would be no more ruler of Mandalore. Oh. And that's how he kind of stopped them. Okay. Uh, and basically then after that, there's a whole cool story of Revan, like, getting, uh, turned to the dark side and basically wiping out most of the Jedi, too. Kind of an early version of Anakin. Um. Oh. Yeah, Revan's one of the more fun stories. Okay. Um, I would, I hope they end up doing something with that, but that took place, like, God, I think it was, like, four thousand years before the, the movies themselves. <laughs> One hundred thousand yeah, years so, ago. So it's, you know, all, which is why when they're like, we're going to make a show about this, I'm like, there's so much lore. You can get away from Skywalker. Yeah. It's, it'll be okay. And but, and Star Wars in itself, I mean, that's that's one of the franchises that has really, if you think laterally enough times, you can... You can extend any franchise beyond, I mean, you'll eventually jump the shark, but I mean, Star Wars is just the most ubiquitous you can do anything. thing. And it's it's been turned into that because, yeah, you can go in any direction because there are so many characters, even mm-hmm. in the first movie. In the first movie alone, mm-hmm. you don't even have to have the original first, like the trilogy, mm. but you can make universes of, mm-hmm. of stories... Yeah, which, on everybody. Which was the problem that they ran into when Lucasfilm bought it and they decanonized all the books. Is you took away so many stories and characters. Yeah, Darth. I mean, Darth Revan got brought in made via a game of uh, Knights of the Old Republic, but there are books about him too. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of books about all this. Grand Admiral Thrawn decanonized until he got brought into Rebels, um, and so, but. So what I do appreciate Dave Filoni and John Favreau from doing is are picking these characters and kind of bringing them back in. They already exist. Everyone knows them if you know he's yeah. written the books and stuff, but making them official again. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be some of the things I'm, I'm talking about with this Boba Fett series. So this Boba Fett series. Sorry to go back to your point, by the way, about Mandalorian versus Boba Fett mm-hmm. and the differences. You get into the Clone Wars series and explains a little bit about it, about the Death Watch. Basically, the original Mandalorians, I told you they were a very warlike, conquering people. Mm-hmm. Um, they changed. They, the queen of Mandalore. So we're not going to do that anymore because nobody wants to trade with us. Nobody, we're not, we're not part of the galaxy if we're just wanting to shoot everybody that comes through. Uh-huh. As the Emperor told Darth Vader, we're not trying to rule over a graveyard. You got to stop killing folks. And this, this was played out in the, the Clone Wars series? Yes. Okay. And so, those, there's a, there's a group of Mandalorians that didn't agree with that. That's not who we are. <laughs> and so they were kind of banished to the moon of Mandalore. And that that's where the they hung out at. Rebel sect of, of that Mandalorians. Okay. And they called themselves the, the Death Watch. And that creed that Mandalorian has is kind of where that comes from. 
is this is the way you don't take off your helmet that creed of the old mandalorians this is how we how we do things that's why when bo katan sees him in the show which by the way you said you watched the first season of mandalorian first season and we started to watch the second one um i had did you meet bo katan yet i don't remember uh the way this is going is this is so far, it's looking like if if you had watched the the Clone Wars, the way the Clone Wars ended, being Mandalore itself, mm-hmm. uh, the Empire kind of started to had basically room to take over if it needed to. Okay. Um, and there so there's this whole thing of Bo-Katan wanting to reclaim Mandalore, and the Empire did wipe a lot of it out. And so I think season three of The Mandalorian is going to be him helping them retake Mandalore, but that's okay. down the road. Yeah. But yes, Bo-Katan does accuse him of being part of that cult, and that cult she's speaking of is uh, the, the Death Watch, so to speak, where, yes, they do have these very um, strict views of, of the Mandalorian culture. Boba Fett, however, is not a Mandalorian. <laughs> okay. Uh, he is not. They wear the same armor. That armor came from his dad, Jango, who was a foundling. Ah. And thus being it gifted to him via his dad, he's allowed to keep it. And I don't know if I found that out or if I didn't remember it from watching The Mandalorian. Mm. But that that's also something I didn't it's, know. It is addressed. Uh, but yes, Boba Fett's always been known that he was not a, not a Mandalorian. Um, and that, yeah, that his his dad was a foundling. Uh, which means you get, which is what Jen is, the, or Den is, the, uh, the main character of the Mandalorian himself. Okay. He was founded by Mandalorians, rescued him, and took him in as one of their own. And so he kind of adopted their creed. And so Django was the same way, uh, then became a bounty hunter, but still had his armor and still did all this. And though, that being said, yeah, he then passed the armor down himself to, to Boba Fett once he died, Boba Fett. And he has a chain code to prove all of this. Um, that's why there's a whole thing about Mando not taking off his helmet, but obviously Boba can. <laughs> I see. Yeah, so Boba Fett, the show itself, uh, picks up with... Well, honestly, they could have done anything with this show. As long as they did this one part, I think everything everybody was fine with was showing him coming out of the Sarlacc pit. Okay. Because that's where we last that's... saw him, fall into the pit, and yeah. he survives... The whole point of that thing is you're to gestate over a thousand years as it slowly dissolves you. Uh-huh. Um, the show taking place five years after Return of the Jedi, he'd been down there for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have enough time to be completely dissolved, mm-hmm. but he, he came okay. But that Beskar is strong, and you're not going to melt through it all the way. All right. So he climbs out of there. Uh, some Jawas come, strip his armor. That's how he doesn't have that when he okay. comes out of there. Um, so some of the things that happened that I like... Uh, as far as, like, a, just a brief overview of the show, he does get kind of picked up um, after the Jawas steal his armor. He does get picked up by Tusken Raiders and ends up hanging out with them and kind of learning their ways, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I've liked about Mandalorian and this show is they've highlighted more of the Tusken Raiders. I know everyone kind of craps on Star Wars for always having to return to Tatooine. And yes, there are a crap load of planets. You don't always have to go back to Tatooine. I really have to say, though, as far as Star Wars is concerned and the universes that that different shows and and storylines make up, that's the most synonymous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're 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 in the Star Wars universe. Tatooine is mm-hmm. 
the planet mm-hmm. that everything is, in my mind, centered around. It might as well be it the center all, of that galaxy. It all started there. But it's the outer rim. It's yeah. nothing ever goes there. Yeah. <laughs> but yet everything happens there. It's the hole in the wall restaurant of yeah, the universe. <laughs> it really is. It's got the best shit, but no one, no one ever goes there. So I like the fact that it's I've been highlighting the Tuscans and giving them more of a spotlight and showing that they're not just the monsters that are portrayed in that first movie. Obi Wan talking about you know they they will return. They hide. They walk in single file to hide their numbers and now, all that. Because they're Jabba's I mean, palace. Yeah, you don't really have many points on this whole. You got a couple, a handful of points on this whole planet, right? Yeah, you have to imagine that. I mean, either there's nothing out there, and the rest of the planet is giant desert. Yeah. Um. But I so I know a large portion of it is the Dune Sea, and that is a lot of where the Tuscans do reside. Okay. And so and the tiny little people with the red goggles, the that, Jawas. Okay, okay, yeah, yes. duh, yeah, Scraps, sorry, duh. gold scrappers. <laughs> um, and and they and they've highlighted the Jawas in these shows too, and given them more of a more of a a life. And so one thing I do appreciate is that they've touched on uh, that not all of the Tuscans are out to kill people. That they are kind of they were here first, and people kind of invaded their land. And now they're, and then people are attacking them, and they're just like, look, and then some of them didn't like it, and some of them do attack back, and some just want to be left alone. Yeah. Um, so it's given more and more life to it, and then you start to see, was it the second episode of Boba Fett is basically Dances with Wolves? <laughs> I mean, he teaches them how to ride, um, <laughs> ride the speeder bikes, and they board a train and take it over. And, <laughs> like, get resources for the people. It's basically Dances with Wolves. Um, but the problem that I have with the show, and I I like it, and mm-hmm. kind of for the same reason that you said earlier, is you like seeing how things play out. Mm-hmm. I don't want things to get really spoiled for me, but I do like just watching it play out, good or bad. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say if I don't like it or not. But I do, it's, like we said, it's a good Star Wars story. Tell the story. What The only thing that really makes me mad is, like you said earlier, you have so much to pull from. You can go in all these directions yeah. that when you limit your scope on it is what bothers me. <laughs> yeah. And so some cons that I have is right now the show itself seems kind of like an interlude. I Now knowing this is you've got two seasons of The Mandalorian. And then Boba Fett comes out. Now, I know coming down the pipeline, we have the Obi-Wan show coming out like May, I think. Okay. Uh, and I'm super hyped for that. But that's not going to be really connected to this. It, and you know, they may sneak something in, but it's not supposed to be connected. Now, is is that going to be for the, I guess, for the sake of the, the actors portraying? Is that going to be animated? Is that going to be live action? Oh, no. It's Ewan McGregor coming back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wow. And this is going to be set right after Revenge of the Sith. So this is going to take place before New Hope, which Mandalorian and all this is after Return of the Jedi. Okay. So, because that's another thing that I, I think about is... With all of these, I mean, parallel storylines, you got to know where they fit in the timeline. Yeah, yeah. you have. Bec- I mean, because time. I mean, time in real life, it's it's linear. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can mm-hmm. you can only do so much with makeup. You right. can. Only, I mean, like I know they have the Tupac it, hologram, but it works perfect because Alec Guinness 
when he did Obi-Wan in A New Hope, mm. Ewan McGregor's creeping up on that age to yeah. be a younger Alec Guinness. Yeah. Because that's at this true. point, Luke, you obviously Luke in A New Hope, young Mark Hamill, fully fledged to take on the Empire. Yeah. In this one, he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be like maybe five. Oh, a couple years okay. old. This is a few years after Revenge of the Sith, so he's still dealing with the trauma of leaving his best friend, his brother, to die on a planet after he cut his arms and legs off. So a lot of this is going to be Obi-Wan going through PTSD of that. And that's, which, I guess, another big challenge is, is figuring out where the story fits for the actors portraying what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a book that I, I have uh, called Kenobi. Star Wars excuse me, Star Wars Expanded Universe book. And... Basically, the couple of last pages is him chilling in a bar on Tatooine, and he's just hanging out, and he's having some drinks, and he sees on the Hollow News Network Darth Vader, you know, in, in, in this report saying that Emperor's new hand, like Darth Vader, and he like, shows him walking, and he knows that that was what Anakin was called, uh. and he freaks the fuck out, and everyone <laughs> thinks he's crazy, and it's the beginning of old Her- the Hermit Ben. It's the beginning of of Ben Kenobi. He oh, he okay. and he loses his shit. He just goes and chills in the mountains because he knows Anakin's still out there. Oh my god! And it's, so that's kind of I'm hoping they touch on that. Yeah. I'm hoping that he, they show this. I'm hoping it's not a happy show. Yeah, which well, I is mean, sad I mean, to say, but because this Obi Wan is my favorite character, yeah. but it, it at the point in time that they're making this show, it's not supposed to be a happy show. And, and I'll, <laughs> I'll say, I mean, so uh, is 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 Favreau? St- he's he's still going to be he's oh, yeah. involved in this. Fa- Favreau, yeah. Filoni, all yeah. Oh, so, yeah. but I I knew about. Oh, Favreau uh, being happy in the MCU. Favreau, yeah. Favreau doing doing like dipping dipping into that and and because mm-hmm. like he's, he plays Tony Stark's yeah. right hand man. He yeah. is, he is very capable of doing comedic bits mm-hmm. and tongue in cheek bits. Oh yeah, but he he can understand what it is to have gravitas to what mm-hmm. he's he's portraying or what he's directing at. I just I love watching his his versatility. In even the small fraction of things that I know he's involved in, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I see him, and this, this is, I'm, I mean, people are probably going to slap me for this, but I, I see him in like Kevin James as kind of the same ilk of of, <laughs> of dude, you know. Like, it's, it's, and you know, like fucking, you know, Paul Blart, Jesus Christ, oh give, me a, give me a break, give me a break, God, uh, King of Queens, give me a break. <laughs> um, but it, you know he's he's this he's this like affable you know slapstick dude. Yeah, uh, he can play it well. Yeah, he, he can play he, it he very, it very well. well. But he also does convincing, serious. I mean, like you know, not like I didn't care so much for the Lion King live action. Thing, yeah, but let's yeah. be real. Did anyone want to watch Mufasa die in live action? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, <laughs> Come you, you on. Can, you you can you can only do so much. You can yeah. only do so much with that kind of stuff. People like him that did hilarious slapstick comedy and then pivoted to do uh, like either ultra serious or, or really like cerebral or, or mm-hmm. you know, like like uh, uh, esoteric uh, sort of uh, sort of topics. I, I love watching them at least try to flex in that in that area, mm-hmm. even if they don't do well, which John Favreau has done well. Yeah. Mm hmm. And 
and that's and that's what I was getting at is like this whole thing being it's all going to be connected, and I think that's one thing that Favreau and Filoni have done very well is there's going to be an Ahsoka show, and I'm really excited for that. For those who don't know, Ahsoka was Anakin's Padawan in the Clone Wars. Ah. And so they gave Anakin his own Padawan, and she started out as this young, you know, snarky, you know, child. And, because again, kid show. Yeah. But grew into her own as a badass uh, Jedi Knight who then left the Order and was like, I'm not a Jedi anymore. And there's a whole backstory in that that's really fun. Uh, and... They're getting her her own show, and she has shown up in The Mandalorian. And it's cool to see Rosario Dawson play her. Yeah, oh yeah. And so, that's all going to be connected. And then there's, I think, another show, uh, Rebel. It might be, it's like a, there's there's doing a Rogue Squadron movie, which I don't think is connected. The Andor show is going to be, I think, its own thing. There, I think there is like a Rebel Alliance show that may have been the Cara Dune one that was supposed to be connected to. Okay. But either way, they're trying to build a universe similar to how the MCU has done with its shows, similar to how Netflix did with its Marvel shows, which aren't necessarily MCU yet, with Daredevil and Luke Cage, and then how they all became there was the Defenders show. Uh, this is going to be its own thing, culminating in one big event. So all of these stories are going to be connected. Now, that leads me to my point, being the fact that Boba Fett feels like an interlude. And it feels that way, because you have, so far, we have Mandalorian Season 1, we have Mandalorian Season 2. Season 2, Boba Fett is introduced. And you see him in the black cloak as the man in the desert. And it's bad ass you're like holy <laughs> shit it's boba fett he's back what uh-huh. and boom he gets his armor there's a whole story he gets his armor back and it is awesome it's cool and we're like this is this is dope this is good and then they're saying okay at the end of mandalorian season two you get boom book of boba fett coming word what is this gonna be about and it gets in and like i said it did what we wanted it showed him crawling out of the starlight pit but after that, it hasn't really told much of a story. Uh-huh. It's him being wanted to be the um, the daimyo of Tatooine, uh, the the big boss man. What Jabba the Hutt was, he's going to take Jabba's place. So do you reckon that Boba Fett and the Mandalorian are redundant together, or they should focus on one or the other? Or no, no, no. Well, here's I feel like. It's going to be weird to say that Boba doesn't deserve his own show. But my my point being is after there's what been 6 episodes and the last 2 haven't even focused on Boba Fett. Oh. It's been on Mandalorian. And so that being said, that's kind of why it feels like an interlude is now it's tying back in to the other thing. Okay. And so which leads me into my next my next thing against it. And I have a lot of pros, too. I'm just starting with the cons first. I would like to end this on a positive note. Because, right. again, I do enjoy this show. Um, is this, this narrative that it's crafting is when Mandalorian came out, that first episode, you have this, this masked dude. We don't see him. Mm-hmm. He's just this cold bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. And it's badass. And we, this is cool. This is a space western that we're here for. Yes. This is what I signed up for. And at the end, you know what? 
what he's doing. You know why he's doing it. Uh, he's after a bounty. That's his whole goal. And what's the what's the bounty? We don't know, but that's his job. Is we're gonna we know the why, and we don't mm-hmm. care about anything else because this is what he's doing. We were following this story. Then he gets there and he sees Grogu. We don't know the name yet, but it's Baby Yoda. It's what everybody yeah. fell in love with. I would like to see the baby. I would like to see the baby. <laughs> but at that point, now everyone's hooked. Uh huh. Now it's I don't care what happens. This it's baby all, better be taken yep. care of. It's all about baby. Yoda. It's all about the baby. Yep. And it's with Mando and the baby. And that's the thing. We now. have a Christmas ornament. Exactly. Of Grogu. <laughs> you don't have a Grogu for Boba Fett. Mm. I don't know why he wants to be the daimyo There's of no... Tatooine. Because he just wants to? <laughs> because he died there? He's a bounty hunter. He's been all over the galaxy. What is this planet to him that he wants to be the leader of I for see. one weird reason? There's no explanation for it. And it's just the strange narrative that they haven't really crafted yet. And honestly, felt like they could have. They probably could have tied something in. But instead, they chose to take the last two episodes and focus on The Mandalorian. I like The Mandalorian a little bit better. Yeah. So I'm not bothered by it. But if you pitch to me a show about Boba Fett, and then for half the show, for almost half the show now, I haven't seen Boba Fett. Yeah. And then it's kind of weird. <laughs> worse yet, you lead it back into the other show that it was that I supposed. like more. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, and and that I mean that being said, it does it does in fact I can agree with you. It sounds like an interlude, and I can see where it's going. It's not shy about where it's going. Okay, obviously Boba Fett's going to come back into it. This whole war, this whole thing is going to resolve around the Pikes and Tatooine. The Pikes are a crime syndicate. They were made known in the Clone Wars, and they're making their live action debut. And, and Boba Fett. And it's this, it's all what's leading to it. And trust me, when watching these episodes, it's not shy that that's obviously what this is going to end on, yeah. is them having to deal with the Pikes. Well, that's good that they're not ambiguous about it. Of course. Uh, and my next problem with it, and it's not so much a problem because I also have this listed in my pros, which is going to be a nice segue to the pros. Okay. Is its nostalgia factor. Which is a double-edged sword. Because... You can have it, and people love it, and like myself, I'm like, ooh, I remember that thing. You remember that thing? Mm-hmm. But then when you rely too much on member that thing, that's what it becomes. Ah. And that's a problem that is, this thing is, it's tiptoeing, and it's tiptoeing in the best way that it can tiptoe. Um, like, for, for again, I, I said it earlier in the cast, and I'll say it again now. Spoilers, I'm going to spoil the shit out of this if I haven't already. So here goes. I'll give you a chance if you need to pause and watch anything. One, two, three. Here we go. Uh, Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. If you're going to rely on any kind of callback to a Star Wars movie to be like, hey, remember this? This is cool, wasn't it? Fucking Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah. I mean... Short of Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. That and is, so, yeah. and it's young Luke too. It's not old, sad, angry Luke and like we got in these recent <laughs> movies that were trash. But anyway, you get cool, badass Master Luke in the black outfit. And, and that's cool. And I like it. And you get Ahsoka. And that's also cool. But what does any of this have to do with Boba Fett? Mm. And that's the problem. Is it goes back to the this weird narrative that they're trying to tell. I if you're gonna give me Luke Skywalker and Grogu hanging out, fucking here for it. But yeah. make that be its own thing. 
And now sidebar and and just squash this if if it's nowhere near the story that you're telling. But how close in degrees is Kylo Ren to all of this? Just because you said uh, older Anakin, and I know mm-hmm. he he's he's tossing around in there somewhere. And so this <laughs> is five years after Return of the Jedi. When is Force Awakens take place? What? 15 years? I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. the exact time frame between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Once again, people are going to be screaming. <laughs> it's probably going to be everybody. I'm sure it is. My point is, without having the exact number, Kylo Ren is basically an adult okay. in Force Awakens. Okay. If he's anything in this, it is a child. <laughs> okay. If he's anything, uh, which he may, I'm going to let's, assuming they had a kid at the end of Return of the Jedi, Han and Leia, he's five. So, but that's what I'm saying is okay. in the in the time frame he's young if he does here has not been shown. But it's also questioning too because don't quote me, but I want to say Luke may have mentioned that Kylo was his first student. Okay, which is interesting because that's not what you're seeing here. Yeah, and so I. I I know that some of not some I know that some of the stuff that that Favreau and Filoni are doing they're not trying to uh, retcon or okay the, they're, the they're taking some liberties as they see but everyone's here for it okay you know and so that being said leading into my pros again I know I just said this was a con but it is also a pro the nostalgia factor done right and at times when it is done right it's done really right so take for example in one of the recent episodes they just did a uh mando gets a new ship oh and it is a naboo starfighter a repurposed naboo starfighter from like say phantom menace remember the ship that the little young anakin was in the yellow one they repurposed it and they put like these cool guns on it and it's like hot rotted out basically and that is that's done right that's done really well and that's a bit of nostalgia and when he test flies it he test flies it through obviously goes out into space but also is flying it through above the ground and ends up going through the old pod racing track Ooh. Great stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I'm like, when you bring in that like nostalgia factor, it's done very well. Yeah. And one of the most recent episodes is they introduced a character from the Clone Wars that I I didn't see them ever bring in this guy in, Cad Bane. And Cad Bane is another bounty hunter that is uh, really cool. Very, very like wild, wild west looking bounty hunter. Has the dual pistols, you know, laser pistols, has like a bullet bandolier looking thing, and is known for his giant wide brim hat. And is just in <laughs> a big brown duster. I mean just real cowboy just bebop. Cowboy. <laughs> and no no shits given. Man will shoot you down quick. Uh Cad Bane was always one of my favorites. Actually fun little tidbit, there was a before when Clone Wars got cancelled, they had several episodes that they were going to do and then there was a whole push to do the season seven, and they did, but they did it differently. And so there was these episodes that they had planned that they never got to, and one of them was how Boba Fett gets the dent in his helmet. Oh. And it's because Cad Bane shot him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
Yeah. So that I always thought that was really cool. And they brought Cad Bane in, and I hope they do more with him. I hope it's not just a one and done and you kill him next episode kind mm-hmm. of thing. I would love to see this character go on for a minute because I thought it was awesome. And so, like I said, pros, that's definitely one. We do leading into that, you have the recanonizing of characters. And that's, that's kind of what I was just getting into is bringing these characters back. Yeah. Um, some of the ones, you know, like Cadbane, he was still canon. They were, he was part of Rebels. Which, how did, how did, did each of their characters, uh, supposedly meet their demise and they're bringing them all back or did they just fade out of the story? Some of, of the them story? faded out and some of them got, some of them faded out and some were brought back in through animated. So like, my, one of my personal favorites is Grand Admiral Thrawn. Okay. And Grand Admiral Thrawn is a, uh, Chiss, which is a, a species itself. Very humanoid. Two legs, two arms, head. But he's mm-hmm. blue. He's got red eyes. Okay. Um, and so, the Chiss were very warlike in the sense. Very strategic. They didn't really go out and like, they had the Chiss Empire. But they weren't about, like, like how I talked about earlier with the Mandalorians, about going out and just straight conquering folks okay. for no reason. The Chiss were like, no, we're good, and we're just, like, really, really good chess players, but on the battlefield, essentially. Okay. And so Thrawn gets exiled from his his world, basically, uh, because he deduces that there is a group uh, a group of species that is inevitably going to attack them in the time comes. And the you know, best way to stall this and to stop that from happening is to preemptively strike them. <laughs> and the Chiss weren't down for that. And they end up exiling him because of it. Basically Thrawn, if I could put a real world example to him, he's basically Sherlock Holmes, but as a, as a war strategist. <laughs> Uh, always three steps ahead of whoever he's fighting. And in the books where they brought him when he was introduced, which is after Return of the Jedi, they, they came out in books called The Heir to the Empire, and Thrawn is the main villain. Uh-huh. And the Empire is defeated, and this is the last Grand Admiral, and they thought they had finished with all of them, but Thrawn isn't unlike any Admiral that they've ever faced. And so, he was brought in when, he was wiped clean from the slate when they decanonized everything. Uh, he got brought back into Rebels, and that was a big deal. And that's kind of where we thought it ended, too, because it, Rebels ends on a... You can call it a cliffhanger, but it's basically, yeah, pretty much no, nothing ever happened of it, so that was the end of it. <laughs> well, in Mandalorian Season 2, Ahsoka is battling uh, this woman who happens to be, I think it's uh, Bruce Lee's granddaughter or niece or something. Huh. Yeah, and she's related to Bruce Lee. And, uh, she's, she's bad. And he, Ahsoka puts a blade to her throat and it's like, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And I remember watching that in my living room and flipped my shit because that means we're getting Thrawn. <laughs> and that kind of re-canonizing, re-bringing these guys back into live action where they should have been because when they made the Star Wars sequels of you know, Force Awakens and Rise of Sky, all that, that should have been the heir to the Empire trilogy. I see. Uh, why they didn't do that, I don't know. It was, the groundwork was already laid for you. And they even took parts of it. 
the whole, did you watch Rise of Skywalker? No. The very last one? Uh-uh. There's this whole thing where Palpatine has this fleet of ships, and it's all these Imperial ships, and there's like 200 of them. That's that's all from the third book of the Thrawn trilogy, <laughs> where Thrawn finds, or it's a third or second book, but he finds the Darkhold. <laughs> and the Darkhold is, is this fleet of... Um, Venator style star destroyers that were pre pre Empire, and they could all be slave length, so you could only be in one and command all two hundred of them. Oh. And he would just send them out and just wipe out planets. <laughs> and so, all they were pulling from all that to make this stuff anyway. Yeah. And so Dave Filoni and John Favreau were like, well, "Fuck it, let's just bring Thrawn in." Yeah. <laughs> okay. So about time. Same thing with Cad Bane. Giving Cad Bane his live action debut. Fantastic. And then, I guess my last point on it is the story. You know, I I talked earlier about how, yes, this does feel like an interlude, but with it being in an interlude to this ever-growing song that they're crafting, Mm -hmm. it's a really fun story. (laughs) It's a story that you can maybe see where it's going, because if you know they're pulling from things, and you know what things they're pulling from, Mm -hmm. you can kind of see down the tracks... That might be getting laid. Like I said earlier, I think season three is going to be retaking Mandalore. Uh-huh. Um, I'm here for it. That's a story that's going to be fun. That's a story that is hasn't really been done. I don't think. Okay, and yeah. so I'm um, I'm for it. <laughs> that's gonna. It, it, someone's probably being like, "Who did it in this book?" Okay, well maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> but my point is, <laughs> this is the first time you're going to see it on screen. Yeah, and. Yeah, so I'm really excited about it. I do like what they're doing. Overall, it's fun. Um, my biggest complaint, by the way, I didn't even say this earlier. God, there's like one episode of Boba Fett where he gets... He, it shows how he rescued Fennec Shand, who gets shot. And they put some mods in her. But he has to go to this mod group on Tatooine. And it's these, like, really, like, edgy, like, teenagers. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I got metal in my eye. And that's, I'm a mod man now. And they put this metal in her. Uh, and I'm like, what is this even doing here? Get out of here, old man. You don't even have anime eyes. Yeah, right? And then they end up, like, riding around on these, like, vibrant coat. Tatooine is what? Brown. It's tan. It's right? desert. And yeah, it's every the all desert. the buildings are white and dust uh-huh. and like and they're riding around these like powder blue and yellow like Vespas <laughs> it looks like the Power Rangers on motorcycles oh, and no. I hate it it's the worst part of all of it and they do this weird little bike scene where it looks like they're driving about five miles an hour it's just so bad <laughs> I I just I you know and I wonder <laughs> if that is a a grasp to attract a certain younger group of people i i just well, there's the thing it gave me it gave me the oh my my little brother wants to be in the show so here's a thing for him uh. and his friends or something <laughs> because you know i was thinking about this earlier and it's like if this was your way of saying that this is how fennec shan got healed dude back in what the 80s when they did empire strikes back and luke's hand gets cut off the end of the movie they give him a robotic hand no uh, questions asked yeah. like, oh that's star wars that's what yeah, happens that's just what it goes fucking darth vader's half robot himself yeah it just it'd be like that sometimes yeah i don't need to see your edgelord fucking <laughs> robot kids being like yeah. we're cool now here's some mods man uh, and that's it's dumb it doesn't need to be there it just 
act like you've been there before kind yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That That's just me griping at something that they tried to make too much out of when it's like, this, is, this technology's been in this show for years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can understand that, and I mean just watching. I mean, like I said earlier, just like watching each Star Wars installment as its own freestanding thing, because I'm not so uh, knowledgeable on every facet of that universe. Mm-hmm. I I can only hope that I mean just from what I've seen of of the Mandalorian, uh, it was it was also equally as entertaining. You know, I I also would like to see the baby. Yes, um, I was, I was, so, I was swept up in that just like everybody. So you else. don't know what happens at the end of season two of no, Mandalorian. I don't. I don't I, think I do. I'm not going to ruin that for you because <laughs> that's some of the best Star Wars I've seen in a long, yeah. long time. But and I, 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 know, I recommend that to anybody. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I need to, I need to finish. I need to finish the published episodes of the Mandalorian for sure. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'm 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 always the the Star Wars universe and two I mean just be just to have John Favreau as as a a common link the Star Wars universe and the Marvel comic universe mm-hmm. I enjoy each movie as it is unto itself as much as whenever I follow the whole story arc of the movies put together. It doesn't diminish what I thought of the quality of what was going on. It adds to it very nicely. Uh, but I, I, I enjoy that each of these movies can stand alone, even if you just have no idea what the whole universe is. Mm-hmm. But the more you know about those, those, those the universes, the better they are. It's just yeah. enriching. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like my dad, for example, my dad grew up with Star Wars. You know when he's seen all he's seen all those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't. He doesn't have the full knowledge of like the expanded universe. Uh-huh. And so when he's watching Mandalorian, he's like he really loves Mandalorian. That's probably been his favorite thing since the original movies came out. Yeah, okay. It's been Mandalorian, and I was like, oh man, Ahsoka's here. And he's like, who's Ahsoka? <laughs> and I'm like, let me tell you. Let me tell you. And it's like <laughs> that. Just not knowing who that character is, like it's cool to see this girl who comes in and she's got two white lightsabers and she's badass, and you're like, this girl's cool. To know that that's a that Anakin, that's why she's badass is yeah. because Darth Vader trained her before uh-huh. it became Darth Vader, and just to watch her whole story go, yeah, and to see where she's at now, it just yeah, it adds so much and it's fun on its own. But if you know the backstory, it's just even better. Yeah, and. That's what I was going to say to to end this kind of thing on on Boba Fett is would I recommend it? And it is yes, but only if you're interested in the overarching story that Disney Plus seems to be crafting with these connected shows. Okay. Um, On its own right, if you don't care about The Mandalorian and you're like, I'm here for Boba Fett. You might not have as good a time as I think. Okay. Um, it might be satisfying, like I said, to come to see the first episode and the whole Starlight thing. But seeing what story they're trying to craft, if you're not knowledgeable on everything that's been happening, you, you might feel a little lost mm. or a little disappointed. And so, but if you started with the Mandalorian, then you might feel a little bit more at home. 
But yeah, like I said, if you're just a Boba Fett fan going into this and you don't yeah. care about anything else, it might be a little disappointing. So I would recommend it if you are interested in the overarching story that they seem to be crafting. And that's 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 what I'll have to say on that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Well, well, fantastic. Well, hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed what we talked about on on this episode. Uh the the double headedness of uh of, of music and, and film. Uh next episode we have I, I'm going to cover an artist that a lot of people might not know about. If they do know about him, a lot more of those people may have written him off as kind of like a, hopefully you'll know what I say when I, when I talk about like lyrical miracle, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, just, and, and not, not, not to, not to shit on the guy, uh, undeservedly, but you know, like Mike Shinoda, you know, like all, From all Park. this pain in my yeah. brain is <laughs> making me insane. I'm, you know, I just, some some may see this dude as a little bit of like a, like a just wordy for the hell of it, but I swear that he is not. The more you look into what he's flowing on, the more you the the subjects that he's talking about. Uh, it's it's the one. It's the only. It's the uh, uh, the man Aesop Rock. Not to be confused with ASAP Rocky, right? ASAP Rocky, no. Okay. No, no, okay. no. For a while, I thought that was the same yeah. person. I'm like, maybe he changed nope. his name. I don't nope. know. A A E S O P, like Aesop's fables back in the Rocky and Bullwinkle days. It's it's Aesop Rock. Uh the man that wrote a rap song about pirates. That yes, wrote <laughs> wrote plenty of rap songs about pirates. <laughs> and 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 about his his cat and his therapist and his fears and his his uh passions that he let die. Uh, this guy is an absolute wordsmith, uh, and and every moment that you give to this guy is just rewarding in layers and layers. Uh, just the most delicious onion of of double meaning and real real literacy, because he doesn't shroud a lot of things in metaphor when he doesn't have to, mm-hmm. but. Listen up for next week. Uh, it's one of his newest efforts, and uh, I hope that hope that you guys enjoy that uh, as much as you enjoyed this. And uh, Alex, do you have uh, anything that you might want to? Uh, do you have anything in mind you're touching on to to tease with? So I've I've been toying around the idea of of kind of covering Bloodborne, the From Software game, not to be confused with Blood Rain. The... Or, or Bloodborne Pathogen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, Bloodborne, the From Software game uh, that came out a couple years ago on PS4. And the, all, all in kind of hype for the new um, From Software game, Elden Ring, that's coming out. And this one going to be a little bit different. Um, kind of starts off as this weird kind of gothic Victorian, you know, werewolf hunting looking game. And then it turns into, you know, fear of the old ones in Cthulhu and fear of the old blood. I'm just thinking it, it gets wild y'all. It gets real wild. I'm just, <laughs> all, all I'm thinking, because I'm, I, I haven't, I, ha- and, and this, this is going to be a fun, fun thread to pull throughout the course of the show. I haven't been 
involved in video game culture <laughs> since the Dreamcast. <laughs> since the fucking Dreamcast. So all of this stuff that he's going to be talking about is I, I'm going to be a child on the edge of my seat, like watching, you know, Jurassic Park for the first time or or playing Wolfenstein for the first time. And I'm going to pull up pictures of some of just the bosses that you have to fight in this game. <laughs> and I'm going to have Tori just see if he can describe them to you because Buck Wild doesn't do it. <laughs> like... Yeah, so it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a really interesting episode between Aesop Rock and Bloodborne. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, well, yeah, so uh, everyone, yeah, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, for lack of a better term, like and subscribe. Um, we are going to be available uh, first and foremost on the uh, Anchor Podcast Network, and we will also be available on iTunes, and any other platforms we can really get ourselves onto, I'm still exploring uh, how many things I can uh, I can port onto. But I'm sure, as as long as we're on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, uh, everything else should be fairly easy to uh, to mirror. But uh, the two definite sources where we're going to be on is the Anchor Network and uh, Apple Podcasts. So. Uh, feel free to tell your friends, uh, like and subscribe, leave a five-star review if we are good enough for it, uh, and tell us if we're trash yeah. if we are. Shit. See y'all uh, <laughs> next time. <laughs>